scripture reading that Chris has chosen this morning to be read is taken from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. John, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. The thief cometh not, excuse me, I am the door, by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Would you bow with me, please? Almighty God, as we come into your presence, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you allowed us to awake to and to travel here safely and to, for the privilege of assembly. And Father, as we worship you, it is my prayer that we do worship you in spirit and in truth and that it is well received by you. And Father, thank you for the benefit that we get for coming together from time to time with our brothers and sisters to know that we're around people that want us to do well and wish well upon us and care for us and love us. And Father, help us to extend that back to our brothers and sisters. And we just thank you for what we have here at Rome and just pray for unity that you'll continue to be with our elders as they guide us and be with those that serve as deacons and Chris and Dave and all the others, Father, that do things behind the scenes that maybe we're not aware of. Just pray that you bless their efforts. Father, we're mindful of uh, the Wheeler and Galloway families uh, to passing of Danny. Just pray that you'll be with them and strengthen them and bless them. And we're also mindful of uh, Becky Shepherd at the passing of her mother. Just pray that you'll continue to be with the Trent and the Shepherd families. Father, continue to be with those that are our congregation that are diseased and uh, battling cancer and uh, other illnesses. Just uh, for every test that's being ran or every scan or whatever the case may be, the medicine, just pray that your blessing will be upon that and if it be in accord with your will, Father, uh, just pray that uh, they can be restored back to a reasonable uh, semblance of what their health was initially. Father, we're mostly especially, uh, especially mindful at this time of uh, Gary's brother, Terry, just pray that he be comforted and uh, continue to be with Gary and the rest of the family, Father, and bless them and strengthen them as well. Father, could be with our uh, Sermon this morning as Chris brings it to us, Father, if there's one in attendance uh, maybe that maybe has been considering putting your son on in baptism, that uh, this will be the very day that salvation will be brought down to them. Father, continue to be with us as we go through the exercise of this service. And Father, of any uh, sin that we might have committed since the last time we've come into your presence, it is my prayer that we be forgiven. And it's through Jesus that I do pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 645, the old record cross, <clears throat> 645, we'll sing the first three verses. Yeah. 
The old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, of death, a pardon for each and every one of us. The night before Jesus was crucified, he was with his disciples, and he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup, and after sup saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is a memorial, something for us to remember whenever we partake of this. 
we all have memories. A lot of our memories are good. We have some bad memories. But the memories that are there for us to enjoy, and God has given us memories throughout the Bible. In Genesis 9th chapter, we read that he put a bow in the clouds, a rainbow that we see after it rains. And that's a memory to us that he will never flood the earth again, destroy man by means of water. In Joshua, the fourth and fifth chapter, when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River, God told Joshua to have a man from each tribe to get a stone from the middle of Jordan and carry it over to the shore. And they took those stones and they set up 12 stones as a memorial or as a memory so that whenever the children from future generations saw these stones stacked, that they would know that God held back the Jordan River while they crossed on dry land. The Bible is full of memories. But the one memory that we have today is, is this memorial service that Christ gave to us. As we partake of these emblems, let us remember the suffering, the pain that he went through on that old rugged cross. And I think of the beatings that he took and how his back had to be raw with just open gashes and things from the whippings and the beatings that he took. And I think about him being nailed to that cross. And whenever it was raised and dropped into the hole, how that those rips on his back had to tear more as he was dropped down and just the, the pain and the suffering that he went through. But you know, he did that for me. He did that for you. As we partake of these emblems, let's remember him and the awful suffering that he went through. Let us pray for the bread. <clears throat> Our Father, which art in heaven, we thank you for everything that you've given us for your son Jesus, for his death and the ultimate sacrifice for each of us. Father, we pray that you will bless this bread as we partake of it. Help us to do so in a manner pleasing to you. For we pray in Christ's name, and amen.
just give thanks. Our Father, again, we approach your throne thanking you for the ultimate sacrifice for Jesus, for the shedding of that blood. We know, Father, that through our obedience to you and through our baptism, that we come in contact with that blood through our death, our burial, and our resurrection as new creatures. Bless us, Father, as we partake of this fruit of the vine. Help us to do so pleasing to you. We pray in his name and amen. If we sat and made a list of all the blessings that we had, I just wonder how long that list would be. Maybe some of us had more blessings than others. And Jerry, you know, you talk about blessings. To have a faithful mother and father.
I think is besides God's blessings, that's one of the best blessings we could ever have. And I thank God that I had those. And I know we have many faithful mothers and fathers in this congregation. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And we just need to look to God and be thankful for those things. Don't take things for granted. And even though we have sicknesses and things in our lives, you know God's there still to help us. And you know the best blessing we're going to have is going to be at home in heaven with him. As we give, we know that the money here is used for the congregation and for the expenses. And we just pray that the elders will use that in the way that's pleasing to him. Let's give thanks. Our Father, which art in heaven, again we approach your throne, thanking you for all the many, many blessings we have. Father, we just pray that you will continue to bless us, bless us as a country, and help us, Father, to be the Christians that we need to be. Help us to take every opportunity to reach out and to teach others the truth about you and to be able to show our love one for another. Continue to bless us and bless this offering. For we pray in Christ's name, and amen. Let's all please stand at this time. We'll sing hymn number 408. 408, low in the grave he lay. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour also.
Invitation hymn this morning, number 482. Oh, listen to our wondrous story. 482. Good morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and be turning to Psalm 119. It's at the exact center of your Bibles. I wonder why, right? Psalm 119, right at the exact center. Talks an awful lot, Psalm 119 does, about... Scripture and the importance of it in our lives. Today, we're talking about unstoppable families persevering through temptations. And so, Psalm 119 is the perfect spot for us to start our study this morning. We'll go ahead and flip there. We're going to start in verse 1, and hopefully, today we'll get through verse 16. Oop. Psalm, I'm not leading that song. Psalm, sorry, Psalm 119, uh, verse 1. There's a concept that most of us believe, but we struggle, I think, in the practicality of that belief. Um, The best life is found only in obedience to God. I think if you asked any one of us, that, that question, we would say absolutely. I, I believe that the best life is found only in the obedience to God. But then in, in practicality, it doesn't always show up like that, does it? Um, in John 10, the verse that Jerry read for us this morning, in John 10, 9 and 10, Jesus talks about coming to give us abundant life, overflowing life, the, the best life possible. And that's what we're after, right? We want that, that good life. And so how do I get that good life? Well, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes went after that good life, right? And he tried all the things. Uh, he tried money and it was empty. He, he, he found that it, it couldn't fill that void in him. It couldn't make him happy. He tried, he tried women and that didn't, that didn't work either. Um, he tried power. He, he's the most powerful monarch of his time. That didn't fill the void either. He tries all these, all these things that he thinks will make him happy, but not a single one of them do. And at, at the end of his book, he finally comes to the conclusion that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. If you fast forward to the New Testament, you'll see one of Jesus' stories, one of his parables. He talks about a young guy who's looking for happiness. And he just like Solomon did, thought, and just like we do, think that money is the answer to our problems. And it's just a facade, isn't it? And if you've got, money's funny because if you have too little, you think, oh, if I just have a little bit more, then, then I'll be happy. But then you get a little bit more and what happens? Happiness isn't there either, is it? It's always in just a little bit more. When, when I get that raise, when I get that that will, when the inheritance comes in, right? When, when I get that, then I'll be happy. When, 
when I get to this level of, of uh, the tax bracket, then I'll be happy. And You get there finally, maybe, and happiness isn't there either, is it? That's what the young guy found out in Jesus' story of the prodigal, uh, the story of the prodigal son. And see, so he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want what would be mine now as if you were already dead. And so the dad takes the insult and gives him his share of the inheritance. And the boy goes and he lives life to its fullest, right? Quotation marks hard and fast around to its fullest. He does things that are immoral uh, and, and not giving him his best life. He wants the best life, but he's gone to all the wrong places to find it. He's gone to places that are only going to hurt him. And we believe this, right? The best life is found only in obedience to God. You can't find it anywhere else. It's the only place it's found. He's the only one who can provide that. We believe that, right? But often we live like we don't believe that. This guy in Jesus' story represents every single one of us. We think that happiness can be found in other places, specifically in his case and in Solomon's, and in a lot of our cases, in our bank account. And you know what happens when his money turns up gone? When, it's, when, it, when he's used it all, what happens? He finds out that he was never really happy in the first place, right? And he's certainly not happy now. And he, he's sitting in the pig pen and he's trying to eat the pig's food. And finally he comes to himself and he goes back to his father. And his father accepts him. And it's, it's really this beautiful story of grace. But if you take that story at face value, take it for what it's worth, uh, when he's talking about, when he's thinking about what he thinks will make him happy, he ran immediately the opposite direction from obedience. Right? He ran towards immorality. He ran towards the things that he thought was going to make him happy, and they just, they just didn't. He ran the wrong direction. In Psalm 73, you find someone else who's running the wrong direction to find happiness. Um, the psalmist is a good man here in Psalm 73. They, they all are, right? All the guys that write the psalms are good men. Flawed, but good men. Men who love God. And so this guy is a, is a good, righteous man. But he looks at people who are evil and he envies them. It's, it's an interesting story. So Psalm 73, starting in verse 1, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He's being tempted, right? So what's he being tempted by? Well, he's going to tell you. Verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is why we're envious of the wicked. If God punished them immediately, we wouldn't be so jealous of them. But it looks like our sacrifices haven't mattered because we lead the exact same lives. Sometimes theirs are even better than ours, right? We are forced to comfort ourselves with the idea that they'll be condemned for their choices eventually in the end. The truth, though, is the life led in obedience to God is so much happier than those lived in rebellion. There's something to be said for not having to constantly be looking over your shoulder worried about judgment. That is absolutely the case 
but it's almost like a, a three-year-old sleeping through their birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, right? Billy Bob's is creepy. You go to Chuck E. Cheese, much less creepy. But it's almost like a three-year-old sleeping through their birthday party at, at Chuck E. Cheese. It's like they're, they're so excited, and then they, they get in the car, and you're driving over to Chuck E. Cheese or Billy Bob's or wherever you're going, and they fall asleep in the car. And while, they're, while you're, um, you're driving, they're, they're asleep, and you get them out of the car. You finally get to the place. You get them out of the car. You carry them in. They're still asleep. So you walk in, and you think, oh, eventually they're going to wake up, right? And they just never wake up. And uh, so you're like, well, well, now what are we going to do? I guess we carry them back to the car, and we go home, right? They missed the good part. They, they, they were so excited about the ride and whatever, and they fell asleep, and they missed the good thing. We're like that more times than we like to imagine. They're reveling in something so much less simply because they don't know what they missed. We do that all the time. Some of us don't believe the best life is found only in obedience to God. You think that that's a very, that's a very churchy thing to say, and you're, you're not buying it. You think that happiness is only found at the after party or in a bed or getting even with someone who hurt you. There's, there's nothing better than realizing that God has taken care of you and you didn't even know what was going on. Have you been there? Have you, have you been in that, that moment where God took care of you and you didn't even, you didn't even realize it? You didn't plan for it. He, he's done this thing um, and, and he's taking care of you and here you are and you're you finally open up your eyes and you see it and you think, oh, I'm, I'm blown away at the care that he has for me. I've never experienced wonder like when I looked back on a decision days, weeks, months, or years later and see how God was weaving things together for me. I've never felt more awe than when I've said and done the exact same thing as other, people's, as other people have done across the years, but the person across the table that I'm studying the Bible with, their eyes, their eyes light up and they get it. They, they finally understand the plan of salvation and, and, and it starts clicking for them. There's nothing better than that. Um, I've never felt more comforted than when God's people have surrounded me in the midst of my grief. When my grandmother passed away back in 2010, we were working in Nashville then, uh, and some of our church friends from Nashville came the hour and a half drive to my hometown and they were there with me during the, the, the visitation and the funeral for my grandmother. I've never felt more comforted than at times like that. This is the best life. When you live in obedience to God, this is the best life. Check out what he says in Psalm 119. You need to see this passage. Psalm 119 verse 1, he says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. He says, you want to be happy, you keep his commandments. You want to be happy, be blameless. Walk in the law of the Lord. This is the only way to be happy. The best life, the abundant life, the, the happy life is only found in obedience to God. All other things that we try to fill that void with are facades that will not hold you up. Scripture says the only way to be happy is to be obedient. 
And if you were to take hell off of the table, take any kind of divine reprisal off the table, the obedient life would still be the best life. This is just something you're going to have to experience before you believe it. If you're sitting there thinking, you can say that because you're a preacher and you've got to say this kind of thing. We're in church and you've got to say that the best life is an obedient life to Christ. You've got to experience this before you really grab a hold of it. This is not something you're going to get just by going through the motions. This is not something you get just by half-heartedly following. This is something you've got to be all in to find out that the best life is found only in obedience to God. Check out what else he says in Psalm 119. This, this passage is it's packed, obviously. Uh, it is the longest, uh, the longest chapter in all of Scripture. Um, it's very, very long, and it's all about the Bible. It's all about Scripture. Um, and so obviously this, this passage is power-packed, but read what he says here in verse 4. And we'll go through, uh, I guess, verse 8. Psalm 119, verse 4, he says, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Consistency is the problem, right? Occasional obedience is fairly easy. Uh, all of us can occasionally be obedient. Consistency is the problem. Look back at what he says in verse 4. Underline that word diligently. That's, that's what he's saying. I want to, to follow all the time. With, with every decision, with every priority, with every thought, with every action, I want to follow consistently. There are, I suppose, rewards for occasionally being obedient. You may have seen those uh, in that season of your life where you occasionally were obedient. Some of those rewards, you, you get glimpses of the good life that God has promised. And again, it's a bit like a kid sleeping through a long car ride. Um, they're so excited to see the castle and the, the giant T-Rex in Kentucky and things like that. As you go back down to Tennessee, we, we travel that road quite a bit. And so some of my kids will fall asleep on the way down there. Um, they'll wake up and say, oh, did I, did, I, did I miss the castle? Did I miss the giant T-Rex? Yeah, you did. And you can, you, you can kind of see from the driver's seat, you look back and their eyes are kind of scanning across, you know, but they're not, they're not really awake and they can, they can kind of see it, but it's such a fuzzy picture. That's, that's kind of what occasional obedience to God is like. You, you get a little bit of the, of the blessing. You get, you get a glimpse, a fuzzy memory of the good life that God has promised us. It's so fuzzy you can barely tell what it is. You only find the good life in consistent obedience to Him. The psalmist says he struggles with that. It's a lot like walking a straight line, right? We all make that joke, you know, I can walk a straight line. But if somebody were to put a line, you know, a 
piece of tape down on the, on the floor in front of you and tell you to walk it, what do you do? Well, you do, right? You can kind of put one foot in front of the other, and as long as you focus, you're just fine. What happens if you get distracted? You start wandering, and your feet fall off the, the path, don't they? That's what the psalmist is saying. He's, he's saying, I, I'm, I, I can do this. I can live consistently with your statutes, with your rules, with your laws. I, I can do this. I can follow consistently. But I get distracted. And I don't want to get distracted because as soon as I get distracted, I, I fall. My, my feet leave the path that you've, you've laid out for me. I don't want to follow consistently. But none of us are able to walk that line perfectly. What I want you to see is from someone from Psalm 119 is he wants to follow consistently so bad. You can really see his heart coming through here. His inability to follow consistently is keeping him up at night. It's bothering him. It's, it's tearing him apart. We have a dog um, that likes to get out of our fence. This is a picture of her. Her name's Nessa. Um, we've had her for years. Uh, she's 12 or 13 now. And so we had her when we lived in Alabama, too. Um, and when we first got her, we had this, this fenced-in yard, and it was, it was pretty small. Um, and she would dig out, and she would find ways to get out from underneath the fence. Uh, and so I started looking around the fence, and I thought, oh, this is where she's getting out. You know, it's under, it's this, it's this low spot, you know, where the earth kind of doesn't, doesn't match the fence, doesn't meet the fence. So I put dirt on that low spot so, the, so it was level with the fence, and she couldn't push through. Um, and I'd go out the next day, and that dog would be out again. I thought, well, okay. So I'd search around the, the fence line, I'd find another spot, and we'd fill, fill that in with dirt, and come out the next day, and she'd be out again. So we started putting cinder blocks around the, uh, the spots where she was pushing underneath the fence, and uh, I wish I had a picture of it. By the time we left Alabama, just about that whole yard was lined with cinder blocks. Uh, and so we moved up here. And we, we, we fence in a bigger yard for her because we think, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's the small yard. She feels a little constrained. I don't want the dog to feel constrained. And so we, we build her a nice big yard that she can run and go crazy in. And, you know, that dog got out again. And I thought, well, what are we going to do, man? This is crazy. I'm not going to put cinder blocks all around my yard. And so I put that landscaping plastic around the bottom of the fence. We kind of make it a little bit more tough. And she can't get through it. And we shored up all the under spots here. She can't get through. And she would get out and she'd go tear up our neighbor's trash. And now all of our neighbors hate us, I'm sure. Because um, <laughs> this dog would get out and she would uh, cause uh, havoc and bark and all these kinds of things. And we'd find um, people texting us, hey, the dog's out again. So we'd, we'd go out there and uh, we'd find where she'd gotten out this time. You know, we did this for months. And I think we finally got it where she's not going to get out anymore until your sin aggravates you like that dog aggravated me you're going to stay in it it's true isn't it until you're determined to root it out until you've looked at every possible weak spot in you and have shored that thing up like I shored up the fence you're going to struggle with sin every time and it's going to have a way back in Every time. We've got to want, we've got to long to follow consistently. 
This guy wants to follow consistently. We're not going to be able to do it, right? He, he promises us in Romans that each one of us are going to fall short. But we have to long to follow consistently. We have to work at following like this. Keep reading. Verse 7, he says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. You see his, his, his humility there. And throughout this psalm, if you want to, it would be a good exercise to read through this psalm and underline every time he mentions the concept of learning or being a student. He mentions this word learn 13 times in this psalm, which is quite a bit, obviously. But this concept of humility, of putting yourself in the posture of a student, he keeps coming back to. Humility is key. If you're going to persevere through temptations, humility has to be at the forefront of your mind. We have to put ourselves in the posture of a student to constantly be learning. Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? Because as parents, often we teach our kids, you know, you need to constantly be betting yourself, constantly be looking for opportunities to grow. But often we struggle with that, don't we? Pride or lack of time or whatever gets in our way. But humility is, is key to becoming the person that God would want us to be. Our culture fights against us in that, don't they? They, they, they say you're fine, however you are. Um, toleration is the name of the game, and you're fine, I'm fine, and you don't have to change. Uh, everyone around you needs to change to fit you. But that's not the concept I walk away from Scripture with. In fact, the concept I walk away from Scripture is God saying, here's Jesus, and you need to fit into Him. You need to transform into Him, right? And so the only way we can do that is to immerse ourselves in Scripture. Culture, our culture has taught us an anti-biblical worldview that pride is a good thing. It drives you and you can do whatever you want and you don't have to listen to anybody and you don't have to fit into any mold and you don't have to conform and all those kind of stuff. But you do have to conform. You do have to at least transform into Jesus into the image of God's Son. And so we need to put ourselves in the posture of a student. The only way that we can do this, the only way we can change this cultural mindset, like if you feel yourself pushing back against this idea of, I'm humble, and I do this, this, and this, and this. This is our culture pushing back against a biblical worldview. And the only way to change that culture is to get into a completely different one. you got to get into a biblical culture. You have to immerse yourself into this culture. Which brings us to the next part. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 10. He says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. He's got the answer, right? You, you want to stay away from temptation. You want to be able to fight against Temptation. Well, how am I going to do that? I've got to guard it. I've got to guard my, my way according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wonder from your commandments. 
often we blame our sin on someone else. It's, it's what they were wearing, right? That's why I sin. If they hadn't said that, I, I wouldn't have sinned. If they hadn't done that, I, I wouldn't have sinned. Temptation's my problem. Temptation is a human problem. It's my problem. The only solution to that problem is Scripture. Which brings us to Psalm 119, verses 11 through 13. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Scripture is our guard, right? But guards don't do a whole lot of good if they're not always there, right? Can you imagine being guarded by somebody who took a 9 to 12 break? <laughs> well, I'm going to go out for lunch. You, you stay right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they would wander off, right? Guards are only effective if they're constantly present. If Scripture's going to be your guard against temptation, it's going to have to be with you all the time. The only way to do that is to memorize it. It's got to be in our heads and in our minds. It's got to be written on our hearts, right? You need to memorize Scripture. When Jesus was tempted uh, in Luke 4 and in Matthew 4, it's interesting. He could have done anything, right? He could have rebuffed this temptation that Satan throws at him in literally any possible way. All options are open to him, right? He, he could have done anything. It's interesting that the way that he rebuffs temptation is possible for us too. He uses scripture, scripture that he had memorized to push back against Satan. And so it's interesting that he used a method that could be used by us as well. It's in Satan's best interest for you to know as little scripture as possible. And so, of course, he's in your mind right now saying, oh, I'm just not good at memorizing scripture. I don't have time to memorize scripture. There's so much of it. That's, that's Satan. It's not in his best interest for you to memorize scripture. So he's going to be in your ear. But you memorize this book so you can wield the sword of the Spirit to its fullest effect. Final point here. Psalm 119, verse 14. He says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight. You need to underline that word delight. That's an important word. I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We need to delight in following God. Can, can you imagine if the best person in your field of study, like if you're a soccer player, what if the best soccer player in the world came up to you and said, I want to tutor you. Maybe you're a banker or a businessman or uh, whatever. What if the best person in your profession, the best nurse, the best teacher, came up to you and said, I, I want to tutor you in this profession? We would think, wow, this is, this is amazing, right? I've got, I've got lots of preachers and lots of other fathers that I look up to. And if one of them came over to me and said, um, I want to tutor you in this profession, 
I would think, oh, man, they, they see something special in me. I, 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 they see potential, and I can be more than I currently am. This is exciting. This is awesome. I'm going to learn how to do this life so much better. That's what he's promising that Scripture can do for us. If I delight in it more than, he's going to use the analogy here of riches. If I delight in Scripture, if I meditate on it, if I delight in his statutes, the full, abundant, good life is there. And temptation is so much easier to rebuff after you've seen, after you've experienced the good life, after you've grabbed a hold of it and seen what God is capable of doing. It's awfully hard to say, I'm going to throw that away so I can have this. Because I know this rusts, dies, and moths eat it. And one day it's going to be burned up. This isn't worth my time. But that, that's worth everything. Knowing Him and being known by God is worth everything. And it changes everything. And it makes pushing back against temptation so much easier. But you can't do the occasional obedience thing. You get glimpses of the good life, but you don't get the fullness. And you need the fullness. You need to see it and grab a hold of it and not ever look back. This morning, if you're looking for the good life, it's only found inside of Christ. He can have your sins washed away through the power of baptism. You put him on and you become a brand new creation. One who is solely, wholeheartedly, consistently focused on following him. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you're struggling. We want to pray for you and with you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
good morning, church family. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take a moment to fill out a visitor card in front of you and place it in one of the black boxes in the back, we'd love to have a record of your attendance with us this morning. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Um, if you haven't noticed, there's a bunch of tables out in the middle foyer of our, our seniors graduating, uh, Blake, Lucy, Mason, and Steeler. Um, they are all graduating high school, and tonight at 6 o'clock we'll be celebrating their accomplishment. Um, we'll, I'll have a short devotional, a uh, short sermon, and then, and then we'll celebrate their, uh, have a senior reception for them and a meal afterwards, and everyone's welcome to come to that. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, for that. Um, also, out on the foyer table is a uh, calendar of youth activities going on. Uh, with the youth group, please, uh, if you have a child within the youth group or uh, maybe a grandchild, uh, you want to get involved with the church, please grab a calendar on your way out so that way you can get them involved with all the activities we have going on. And there are sign-up sheets out in the foyer board for you to sign your child up to let uh, the youth committee know that uh, you have a child going to certain events. And um, the next youth event is Saturday. Um, they're heading to Carter Cave, so please sign up uh, today if you have a child going to that. Um, also, for Life Group news, Life Group 1, that's Rick and uh, Chad's group, will be meeting in an old, old auditorium uh, at the very end where, uh, old, old, at the very end. That's all I, that's all I can remember right now, but uh, so uh, they're, they're having a meal there, I think. Is that right, Rick? So that life group is involved with that, uh, so please uh, go to that if you're in life group one. Also, life group four, that's Jerry and Greg's life group, will be meeting up front uh, this morning uh, to find out certain events that y'all will be doing uh, uh, this month as well. So if you're in life group four, that's Jerry and Greg's life group, meet up front after services this morning. If you can help out with mowing, uh, there's a mowing schedule out in the foyer board. We, we uh, need some help uh, keeping the grounds nice and neat. If you can help out with that, please sign up on, on the bulletin board. Also, we're still needing teachers for the uh, summer quarter. Uh, the new quarter starts June 4th and goes through August. Um, we're needing a teacher for the two-year-old through four-year-old group and also for Bible hour. If you can help out with that, please see uh, Jeremy Miller or Connie Miller. Uh, and also, VBS is right around the corner, uh, June 4th through the 8th. Um, we are needing cookies for VBS um, because what adult does not like cookies? So uh, raise your hand if you don't like cookies. No one doesn't like cookies. So, so, uh, but, uh, so we need cookies for VBS because everybody likes cookies. And we're also needing bed sheets, uh, any color size uh, for decorations in the middle auditorium. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, remember, continue to uh, keep in your prayers on Jim Wilgus, Terry Leap, Sean Maynard, Jim Haney, and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they uh, have their cancer treatments. Uh, keep Libby Judge. It's good to see her here this morning with us. Uh, she had surgery. She has torn labrum. Uh, keep Steeler Leap in your prayers as well while he's continuing on his, his uh, rehab with his torn labrum. And seems like a thing going on right now at Rome, so don't get too close to him. Um, but uh, nah, give, give him a hug, tell him we're thinking of him, praying for him, and, uh, and hope they recover soon. And remember, continue to keep the Wheeler family in your prayers at this time as well. 
as they uh, remember Danny and keep that family in your prayers at this time. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again this afternoon or this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 680. 680. We'll sing the first and last verse of There's Not a Friend. <clears throat> and then Brother Drew Hustle will have a prayer. <clears throat> There's not a friend like your lovely Let us pray. God, we thank you uh, for another day where we can come and, and worship together and um, encourage one another and learn more about you. I pray that uh, you know, the message we received today, that we can uh, actually desire to, to fulfill that in our lives. I know um, for myself, it's not always easy to follow your commandments, and um, you know, that, that's not a good thing. And I pray that um, that we all here today have the desire to do that, um, that we're all, that we keep on guard and, um, and be uh, looking for opportunities to excel. Uh, we just thank you for everything you've done for us, and I just pray that you lead and guide us and um, watch over all of us this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat>